Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logar the Barbarian, here with my returning guest, Watt. They're the creator of Cloud Empress. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me back again. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. It's good to hear. Now, things have changed and progressed with Cloud Empress. Uh, and uh, where, what's going on right at this moment? <laughs> yeah, we have a, a Kickstarter launch date. So we'll be going live Tuesday, January 17th. Really excited about that. We've been working that, you know, I've been working towards that for a little bit of time now. And the the pre-launch page is up and, and this will probably be airing. We talked, you know, pretty soon to the launch date. So really excited for folks to take a look at what we're putting together. I'm excited to see it. Now, just as a quick recap, because you can go back, listeners, and listen to the last time what was on. And we talked about Cloud Empress then. Uh, but a re- quick recap, what is Cloud Empress as a setting and and, and a... Pooey, I'm getting my tongue tied. <laughs> yeah, Cloud Empress is a expansive Nausicaa-inspired mothership setting. So it's a campaign setting for mothership. And there are other campaign settings in mothership, but this one feels a little thematically different. It's far in the future. It's ecologically focused. And it has a lot of um, mutations, natural elements, giant cicadas, that kind of stuff. So it's really inspired by Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, Dune, um, Tales of Earthsea and some other classics. I like the I, I like the ecologically focused thing. Could you expand on that a little bit more? It's I think a little bit. Cloud Empress is sort of some of my response to uh, climate change mm-hmm. and and how we think about our environment. And one of the things that I've seen in the RPG space is a lot of settings where the world is ending and it's it feels a little nihilistic. Yeah, and so this is an exploration of. Maybe the world as we know it has ended because we're thousands of years in the future, but what does that mean? And how do humans continue to survive and create meaning in a world that looks very different? I think one of the core premises is just that we're going to survive long after we're comfortable. And so what does it look like to live in a world that's very uncomfortable, that's maybe not owned by humanity anymore and using sort of fantasy and science fiction elements to really make that clear with these giant psychic cicadas. <laughs> That's cool. Now we wanted to talk a little bit today about, about world building. Was that correct? Yeah. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is world building. My publishing name is worlds by Watt. <laughs> and one of the reasons I did that was because I, I love creating these new settings, these new worlds for players to explore. And that's where I feel most passionate and, and spend a lot of time thinking about that. And so as a publisher, I'm trying to create a couple different worlds that, that folks can go in and explore and, and play games in. I guess this is a silly question, but how do you approach the process of world building in, in general? That's a great for question. Games and for a book? Or... <laughs> well, world building is really a popular topic nowadays. And I know there's a lot of different um, thoughts on it, but I think about world building as both the stuff that happens in a role-playing game session and the stuff that doesn't happen. And the stuff that happens can inform the things that don't happen and vice versa. So let me talk a little bit more about that. If your players are exploring a location, they're talking to an NPC, what ties do those places, those NPCs have to the world around them? And how does that make the experience more real, more immersive, more interesting for the players? And consequently, 
you know, how does that inform this larger world? And then how does the larger world inform those experiences? So you might have something come up in a conversation with an NPC that creates a new location, that creates a new experience and vice versa. That NPC may have connections that are showing up um, to different organizations, different groups, different beliefs. One thing I think that's a little unique about the way that I go about world building is I tend to think about themes that I want to explore yeah, as well as gameplay experiences. So we talked a little bit about the ecological focus one of the themes that I've been thinking about is humanity's survival in the far future and, and, and thinking about what does survival look like? What does comfort look like? What does suffering look like in a way that is hopefully humanizing, not kind of <laughs> yeah. the glorification of misery, but really thinking about those kind of things and picking some core themes that I want to explore as an artist and talking about those and then thinking about the gameplay experiences that I can create that will explore those ideas, not in a, I'm going to tell you what to think about them, but what does this problem kind of queue up? What kind of questions discussion would this possibly make for the players through gameplay? As a setting, we've talked about this one too before. Cloud Empress is kind of, how would you describe the Cloud Empress setting? And when you approach this, like, well, what do you have? Like, I, I kind of got you the, the whole way you approach that, but how would you describe it, I guess? Genre-wise? It's a combination of science fiction and fantasy. So there are guns. I think that's one of the big things that is sort of a... <laughs> are there guns or not? I mean, I know that's a big decision for people when they're playing a game. Are there guns or not? But there's also magic. There is a substance called chalk that is sort of this magical agent that's sort of reality warping. And so there's both magical elements and technology elements but the technology elements have been around for a very long time, and it's a retrograde society, meaning that in the past, there was some level of prosperity, technological advancement. Many of those people that created those things have left the planet um, because things became pretty bad. Um, this is Earth, too, we're talking about. So <laughs> people have left the planet, responding to some current news, obviously, some ideas about people wanting to leave the planet. People, you know, a lot of wealthy folks... Um, Folks with a lot of technology have left the planet and the current inhabitants are sort of picking through the trash of that stuff. And so a lot of the technology is really advanced, but it's broken. A lot of what folks need is, is just buried in the ground. It's, it's a junkyard that's been sort of mossed over, overgrown. And so the way that folks in this world approach natural resources, the way they approach what they need is, is a little unique, I would say. It gives me that, uh, that was it, uh, I think of Planet of the Apes for some reason, that far future type. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think we need to do a spoiler one, but yeah, when they go out to the, the Statue of Liberty, I mean, there is an element in this game of discovery, what happened. Mm -hmm. We know what Earth is like now, and we're going to go thousands of years in the future, and what is the what happened between that time period? And I think there will be a number of open-ended and and explored mysteries that folks will be able to speculate, create their own ideas of what happened, and also get some of mine. I want to go back to the topic of world building. What could you tell, I guess, listeners? What would you your big uh, suggestions be for others? And they approach world building. What kind of suggestions would you have for them? I've been thinking about world building and my one of my suggestions i would say this is a, a vast overgeneralization <laughs> i find that there there's maybe a group of creators that likes really weird stuff i longer you seem like a person like that you know let's come <laughs> up with something really weird and out there 
I think there's another group of creators that maybe leans a little bit more into the tropes or the classical familiar elements. And my sort of challenge in thinking about some of this is if you're a person that that likes classic fantasy, how can you make that weird? How can you make that unique? What can you change about it to make it a little different? Mm-hmm. And if you're a person that likes really weird stuff, how can you ground that in people's lived experiences? How can you connect that with everyday life, with the things that are important to us in the real world? Because I think uh, there's this middle ground that I find that works really well in role-playing games where there are some familiar elements to ground the experience. People kind of get what's going on, but creating something that's new and unique, a, a twist, a complexity, I think that's where people get really excited. So I think role-playing game players, I've noticed, they want something familiar. They want to, oh, this is sort of like this. This is sort of like that. But they also want something new. And I think folks are eager to have those kind of new ideas, new experiences, even if it's only a couple elements in a dungeon that that complexify or challenge typical fantasy tropes. I think those can be really effective, really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty solid advice. I, I, I like that. When you, What would you say was are some of the biggest challenges there when you're world building that you've run across? I would say the two biggest challenges that I've run into. First, I think the creator of a world is going to be a lot more interested in it than, the, than everyone else. That's my experience. <laughs> so I'm really, I, 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 I have all these ideas, all this stuff. And when I start to explain it to people, it's like explaining a dream. Oh, that's neat. And they kind of glaze over. So how do you communicate these, these really neat ideas, these interesting ideas you have? I think you have to do it really carefully. I think it, if you're doing it in a game, it should be through gameplay. If you're doing it through a book, it should be the story of the book. Most people don't read encyclopedias for fun. Um, most people read the Lord of the Rings Silmarillion and the, the, I hope I'm saying that right, you know, and the encyclopedic information after they've read the books, no one starts with those. So what is the way that the audience is going to engage with this media and then finding ways to do that? And so I think the other piece is really cutting a lot. I would say the, the other thing, you know, not having a big lore book, really finding ways to how can a adventure location, a dungeon convey a lot of stuff about the world and what's going on. The other thing I would say is be really thoughtful about the words you use. One of the biggest, I would say, mistakes, but challenges I would say that that folks have engaging with a new world is learning the new vocabulary. And one thing I found is it, it tends to be pretty embarrassing for players to say the the schnardnard. People don't like the, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of a funny word. So maybe that would be an okay word. But a lot of times people don't like saying made up language and they forget it really easily. And so you have a combination of the word being new and unfamiliar and the fear of forgetting it and saying it wrong. And so I would say one thing I've done in Cloud Empress is there's really only one to three new words, plastisteel, a combination of plastic and steel. That's one that I've kind of made up, but there's not a whole lot that I've made up. And I think that makes it a lot easier. It's chalk. It's not some kind of unobtainium. <laughs> yeah. So if you pick words that people know and, and combine them in new ways or mash them up, 
it feels familiar, but it is it refers to an unfamiliar concept. And I think people are more willing to say that. They they it conjures an image more quickly than coming up with a new word, a new um species, something like that that's really complex. People are gonna forget that and they might not be willing to say it out loud. And it's like people said when you're making up names for fantasy locations, people come up with, you know, bizarre words that aren't words sometimes. Like, oh, okay. The the other thing is and I, I when people change the days of the week or the months or stuff like that, it's it's cool. I guess you know it makes sense within the world they're creating, but it's, it's, it's really hard to use. Yeah, it's complicated to keep track of that. If it's just okay, it's Monday, it's Tuesday. Okay, that kind of stuff is easy. <laughs> and, and it's a lot of work for something that like what's the payoff, right? Yeah. Like the fact that Tuesday's called, I don't know, trawl trawl day. What what is the payoff <laughs> for that? I mean, it does it really evoke a, a world? And then if you just say, well, trawl day is Tuesday, everyone. Well, then it's not actually adding anything new to the world. It's just, no. oh, it's a different word. I mean, we, <laughs> we, you know, Cloud Empress, we're probably not speaking English as we know it. So we can just assume that we're using different words, maybe. Yeah. But not actually use them in our game. <laughs> no, I, I like the, I bought the theme of like the post- uh, I guess I'm going to say post-apocalyptic, but it, it, is that what we're talking here, essentially? Well, one of the things that's interesting, what is post-apocalypse, right? <laughs> I think that's one of the things. And and one of the things that I reframed my mind was for the folks, the indigenous folks of the Americas. I mean, we are living in a post-apocalypse for their experiences, right? Their entire world was upended by um, colonialism yeah. and imperialism. And so... In our own world, we've lived through many post-apocalypses, I think, for for different cultures and different civilizations. So yeah, no doubt. I think it's not unfair to call it that, but it's really just an evolution of the way that we will need to live. I think there wasn't a moment when everything crashed. I think that's another thing I see in post-apocalypse. This happened and then everything changed. This is a mutation over, you know, what does a thousand year timeline look like? What is 2000 years look like that's a long time and so it's more of a mutation into a world that has new rules mm -hmm. and has a new way of living for these these human people but if we jumped in if we got in a time machine and went here we we go oh my gosh <laughs> we're, we're in the you know the apocalypse has happened kind of thing oh no it's all over now yeah well we're coming close to time can you tell listeners where they can well, back world at uh, back cloud atlas and um cloud empress cloud atlas ah, was the, cloud um, empress I'm getting that was that was <laughs> an interesting so book sorry. no you're good cloud empress. talking about world atlases too so world I'm getting all confused here we're the world atlas where they can back cloud empress and uh, where they can find you online so I'm at Twitter for however long that's a thing. Um, <laughs> at Worlds by Watt, you can find me there. Cloud Empress is going to be on Kickstarter. The link is pretty long, but you can just search Cloud Empress and Kickstarter. You can follow the game on um, worldsbywatt.itch.io and Worlds by Watt on Substack. So that's my newsletter. So those are some great places that you can you can find me. Excellent. Thank you for coming back on. It's been great getting a chance to talk again. Thanks so much for having me, Logar. No if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at Logar Hale Crom, possibly. <laughs> We're on Patreon. We can really use support. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, 
keep those dice rolling. 